Hey, by any chance, are you looking for a new representative, a Swiss representative or a UK representative? Then contact Easy Medical Device at info at easymedicaldevice.com. I-N-F-O at easymedicaldevice.com. And you'll get a great service. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy Podcast. I am Munir Alazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standards today? Okay, so let the show begin. Okay, so hi everyone. So I am today with Eric Volbrecht, our preferred lawyer. Hello. So first time we meet together. <laughs> I mean, yeah. since we have made all those podcasts finally. together. Finally. Exactly, <laughs> finally. So we are here at the MedTech Europe uh, f- uh, Forum uh, 2022. Uh, and um, we, there was a lot of discussion during this uh, forum about a lot of topics. There was, yeah, the discussion about Ukraine situation, about um, also the MDR, IVDR. I mean, everybody was talking yes. about that, I mean, the MDR, yeah. IVDR. Uh-huh. Uh, we talked also about digitalization. We talked about artificial intelligence. I mean, there was a lot of topics discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be, if I can say, your summary of this or maybe some highlights or key points that people highlights. are getting yeah ah, okay well i think as guy as highlights i can give is this this conference was really it was i think about really three things okay so it's like how are the mdr and the ivdr progressing or you could say going to hit a wall <laughs> at some point and what are we going to do about it exactly. and how what where when why that was point one Then there was a lot of discussion about uh, uh, personal data. I think the program that they had on personal data was really stellar. It was actually pretty fantastic. Very nice uh, application. There was one really good session uh, with the uh, US Department of Commerce on the uh, new uh, or the the, the work in progress on the new uh, transatlantic transfer mechanism. Okay. Where I thought actually the yeah the, 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 the Department of Commerce was quite forthcoming in the information they gave. So that was really it was interesting, nice to see. And there was also uh, quite a lot on, uh, on let's say, uh, uh, surrounding IT, you yeah. could call it. Yeah, exactly. So there was the European health data space that everybody's really curious about. There was, uh, there was the health technology uh, regulation, assessment, assessment regulation yeah. that we have now. Uh, there was uh, some more about uh, e-health. Uh, there was uh, there was also a session on uh, artificial intelligence. That was a good session because it was my session. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I think all in all, it was really. I thought it was a really packed program, uh, high quality actually, very interesting. Um, yeah, perfect networking of course. So that was good. So, yeah, and I mean, look at us sitting here. Exactly. I mean, you can't yeah, beat this good, weather, I mean, right? Exactly, the weather is really nice. Um, one thing that uh, people are starting to talk and say, be careful, it will hit you, it's the HTA, so Health Technology ah, Assessment. So, yes. can we explain maybe quickly, because maybe we can make a podcast about that later, but what, yeah, what, what, is, what is exactly the HTA, who will be impacted, uh, so that maybe yeah, we have maybe making our research after that. Yeah, so health technology is a bit of a tricky beast because, uh, because of course, in the EU, we have the Treaty on Functioning of the EU that says in Article 168 uh, what the competences of the EU are in the field of healthcare policy. Yeah. 
So the EU is always a bit trying to find the, uh, the edges of what they can still harmonize. And I think the health technology assessment regulation is the one that's sort of right on the borderline. Okay. Because um, what they are trying to do with the health assessment regula uh, technology assessment regulation is to see if they can shorten the time to market for medicines and medical devices after approval. Because okay. one of the big problems in Europe is that we have nice fancy central approval mechanisms, but then you still have to go to each and member so state yeah. to go uh, to, to see to be included in the reimbursement system locally. And they each have different health technology assessment methodologies. So the EU thinking behind the health uh, technology assessment regulation is if we can harmonize those methodologies, then at least we can make it easier to come to the market. Um, and the impact, I think, is that they have set up a program in scope of that health technology uh, assessment regulation, where on a periodical basis they are going to do their own healthcare assessment. Okay. Uh, autonomously on certain devices and certain medicines. Okay. So that means that, yeah, that's... Uh, so it's multiple stage assessment exactly. again? Exactly. So a sandwich again? <laughs> no, not so really, not really, a, uh, not really a, a sandwich, but it can be that they pick your device ah, and, okay. and do, do a health technology assessment that you're maybe not waiting for. Okay, great. And can also say it's not good and then... That so also happens, okay. because that, and that can happen on a national level, but okay. of course it's uh, more annoying if it happens on the European level. Okay, yeah. so uh, I think yeah, we have also talked a lot about uh, due to COVID, mm -hmm. about the increase or acceleration of digitalization. Ah, yeah. So, is this really a trend or is it just something that will be dropping after now COVID is over? That's a nice uh, question indeed, because that's something I've also heard at this conference. Like during COVID, everything was possible. Exactly. And now suddenly everybody is reverting to exactly. their old ways. Yeah, and that's unfortunately, unfortunately what, it's, uh, what it's like. So for example, remote audits. Uh, well, I, I think remote audits may be here to stay a bit, except we are still in the weird situation that not every member state allows them, for example, for notified bodies, which is, uh, well, let's say less than ideal and maybe not that rational. But uh, yeah, on other areas, you yeah you see that suddenly uh, higher up administrators are becoming a lot less easily reachable because they are hiding in their yep. office again rather okay. than just a Zoom call away. So there's there's yeah there's definitely it's uh, let's say it's a two steps forward, one step back situation. Uh, I think you could say. So um, in terms of uh, the medtech uh, forum today, we had manufacturers, we had notified bodies, we had yeah. BSI, we have also the commission, your commission is here. Yep. So um, I was on a session about MDR implementation in 24 months, well, before 24 mm -hmm. months, etc. People had questions, but the EU commission didn't have answers, ah. let's say. Yes. Or they tried to answer in a way that there is no answer now. So are we all in a, in a I mean, I just refer, for example, to um, uh, to uh, Serge Bernasconi that made this uh, comment at mm -hmm. the beginning to say uh, MDR, IVDR, it's a huge, it's a, it's a monster, it's a huge thing, mm -hmm. but is there a driver on the seat? Is there somebody that can show us the direction? Which I agree, and is, is, is there somebody or is it hiding, as you've said, maybe on their ah. office? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, I would say, the million, uh, million euro question exactly, uh, yeah. that we're having now. 
Well, I mean, if the commission is not showing their cards at a conference like this, doesn't mean that they're not thinking about something. Uh, and also, that's also something people often forget, is that the commission is not... I mean, although the commission can do a lot in terms of policy, yeah. the problems we are looking at are also problems that will require legislative adaptations, depending on how you solve them, but, uh, or, or if you solve them in the first place. So they always need the member states on board. And I think we are still in the process where uh, the Commission is trying to get the ducks in a row at member state level on what we are going to do. Because of course the Commission knows exactly what the problem is. Yeah. Um, there, uh, I know for a fact that there have been internal presentations yeah. on, uh, on this. So the question is of course, yeah, if you know what to do or if you know what the problem is, do you know what to do? Well, they may be working, I think, on, a, on, on some scenarios, but the problem with scenarios is that unless uh, everybody agrees on it in Europe, the scenario is not going to happen. So I think we are in a situation now where there's a bit of competition between the scenarios. And I mean, a lot of scenarios are on the table, actually, yeah? because if you, if you look, uh, I, uh, for, uh, I was at the Viva pre-meeting yeah. where we uh, where we uh, also had a discussion about this and for that for my presentation at that meeting I went all the way back in the old impact assessment okay. uh, for the MDR and the IVDR yeah. and yeah the regulatory options that were at on the table at the time they are still on the table so centralized agency yeah so basically PMA for medical devices uh, keep the system as it is or some kind of hybrid version and well what we see now is that that the EMA is getting more and more competence yeah uh, and uh, my impression is a bit that maybe the EMA is not actively uh, let's say on a sort of imperialist spree to get more devices yeah, yeah. I think it's rather the, the, the member states that are like, uh, if we trust this to anybody, it's, it's the EMA. Maybe the EMA should do more of this. And, 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 and during the discussion also with, um, on the introduction of Serge, he was saying, I mean, I, I don't know if it's the opinion of all the industry, but it was saying, we don't, I mean, EMA or not EMA or whatever, we don't care. We just want to have some clarity, some guidance, some, ah. some way. So we are ready, if I can say, to, to that's implement. An, that's an interesting position because at the time when the MDR was being proposed and they did the impact assessment, it was industry that said no centralized approval. Okay. We don't want that. We don't want an agency. But also at the time, member states and health technology associations and quite a lot of these instances uh, were, yeah, they were actually in favor. Of course, then you need to get the whole discussion, how are we going to resource it? Exactly. And, yeah. and all of that, and, and is it even possible? Which I think that's the reason, if this is going to happen at all, it will always be a kind of a hybrid system where you still have notified bodies that do a lot of the legwork. And then for the uh, more uh, innovative devices, you'll have an uh, EMA, uh, uh, NEMA saying something about, uh, uh, yeah, final approval. Exactly. And I think this is probably going to start with some of the more complex devices, like companion diagnostics yeah. probably, uh, very high risk innovative uh, class 3 medical devices where you have uh, tissue components yeah. and stuff like that. 
and they'll probably slowly transport more and more uh, to uh, to an agency. That's that's maybe in the works for the future. Yeah. Then again, that's. Yeah, it's total speculation because there are also still uh, quite a lot of people that would like the system to stay as it is. Yeah. <laughs> because that's, yeah, some time ago uh, I remember that basically the CAMD said, whatever, uh, basically we don't really see the problem okay. with, the, with the, the, the 2024 date because if there's an issue, we will just issue national exemptions and we can solve it. But, but, then, but I heard the commission, the Santé DG, Santé Group, I think, uh, that said uh, it was exceptional what we have done on the 2020 uh, exceptional transition to 2021. So don't expect that. Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, but that's, that's, I think, yeah, that's, that's a good point because currently, of course, also a lot of clients and other people ask me like, yeah, now that BVMet and Snitem has said exactly. we need two more years, when are they going to implement it? I'm like, never, <laughs> never. It was just uh, an open, open request. Exactly, uh, exactly. Was... like you would call it in warfare. These are opening skirmishes. <laughs> exactly. It's like when you start negotiation on the market, you don't give your best offer immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, they know it's not a political option for the commission to just like, oh, oh. Oh, yeah, have I have another two years <laughs> in my in my pocket here. Exactly. Hello. Here, I mean, two they, more they, years. They also saw what happened to the IVDR, yeah. and they think that oh, it happened to IVDR, so maybe it can happen to MDR. Yeah, but uh, IVDR, and make no mistake, that's also not a blanket. Here's two years extra, because um, and that's that's maybe an important point to make. I mean, and I saw a lot of clients fail miserably. Uh, in their thinking on the grace period uh, for the uh, MDR as well. The grace period, that's, uh, some, that's a gift that comes with big strings attached. Yeah. Eh? No significant changes. Yeah. You need to implement all kinds of quality system elements already. So it's not like a free ride, like, uh, yeah, kick the can down the road, wait a couple of years. That's not at all what it is like. So if you have IVD companies that are now thinking like, oh, we have a grace period, we can sit on our hands. No, this would be really stupid because... I, uh, I, I liked one of the comments also of, the, of somebody that was on commission saying, this is not a grace period, this is a transition period, like a landing. Exactly. It's like landing yeah. like a plane. It's just this time you have to land. It's not a time to, to stay on, on uh, to fly. Exactly. And, uh, it's just the time for landing and you have to do it as early as possible, yeah. not waiting until the end and then you'll crash your plane there. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, of course, that's a bit of a problem that we are seeing with the MDR now, because I think there was uh, a fair amount, and maybe it's a strong term to use, apologies, listeners. Okay. <laughs> but that's my personal opinion. There's quite a, I think there was a fair amount of moral hazard actually involved in the way everybody acted with the, uh, with the grace period under the MDR. Okay. Because, yeah, the authorities allowed notified bodies to extend certificates all the way to literally 26 May exactly, 2024. Exactly. Which means that, of course, all these companies thought like, okay, we, we are safe until, until that 26 day, yeah. May 2024 because they never got the memo internally like, you have to make sure that you've landed exactly, by then. Exactly. And like it goes, every pilot knows, a landing is not like teleport yourself to the ground. <laughs> it is a process. Exactly. You yeah. have to start in time. And this is, yeah, I mean, I think there are 
also a lot of companies sort of kind of stupidly bet on the extension, extension happening. Yeah. But that's really, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, it's not the way it works. And the, the, of course, time will tell, but they might be, uh, yeah, they might be unhappily surprised. And if IVD companies are doing now the same, yeah, that would be a big mistake. Uh, we also saw during this conference, which was great, that we talk a lot about legacy devices mm -hmm. and say we should do this because of this transition period, the legacy device, etc., significant change. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of people that say, yes, okay, it's good for legacy devices, but we are a startup, we are a new company yeah. with new products, new innovative products. In the US, they have this throughout uh, process where they can go for innovative oh, products. Breakthrough, uh, breakthrough device device exactly. Yeah. The SFDA also initiated that now for mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia. Yep. What about Europe? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, that's that's something we discussed at the Viva conference uh, as well. And uh, well, I mean, choices, right? Yeah. I mean, this is it's a totally it's total political choice whether we have something like this as well. And as a lawyer, one of my big uh, problems is always that as soon as there's something needs to happen, everybody says, "Oh, we need new rules." Yeah. You almost never need new rules. <laughs> That's really kind of funny because um, a lot of people don't remember, but when uh, COVID started, there was this notice of the European Commission to the member states saying, oh, you are complaining that the, uh, that the process of getting COVID-related devices to the market is too slow, but member states, actually, there's a lot you can do. Yeah. For example, you can direct your notified bodies to prioritize certain reviews, exactly. for example. Or you can say uh, particular devices, we are uh, uh, willing to accept a, a temporary exemption. And I thought at the time, especially the, uh, you can direct the notified body mm -hmm. to prioritize certain reviews is very interesting because it's a, it's a legal capability that's yep. already there. So the only thing that needs to happen for a European breakthrough device program is that the clever people in the MDCG stick their heads together, write a guidance that says, this is how our breakthrough devices uh, uh, program works. We will all direct our, uh, our nationally notified, notified bodies to act in accordance with this breakthrough program. Finished. But here we talk about multi, uh, one national authority. We are 26. Yes, but they are in the MDCG. And yeah, true, yeah. we are at a stage now in the, in, the, in, the, in the medical devices regulation that if you ask an individual authority something, they will always say, no, no, wait for the MDCG guidance. We know nothing. Yeah, like, I no. know nothing. No, it's <laughs> yeah, wait for the MDCG. So they always point to the MDCG. But now they could, they could just do this. Same with SMEs. Everybody's complaining. I also have SME clients that can't get a slot at a notified body. Yeah. The only thing member states need to do, huddle in the MDCG and say, we order all of our notified bodies to onboard this percentage of SMEs, for example, and uh, yeah, everybody that's late to the game, they can wait. Yeah. No, and, and because these member states, and that's something not everybody knows, is they give these notified bodies all kinds of directions yeah, yeah. all the time. They tell them how to apply classification guidance. Sometimes wrong, if you ask me. 
Uh, they tell them to do this. They tell them to do that. They give them all kinds of procedural directives. They can also give them procedural directives like that. And this would be really pro uh, procedural directives that somebody could use. And it's easy. It's low-hanging fruit. It's not complicated. It doesn't require new legislation. It just requires a bit of political will exactly. and synchronization. Exactly. Um, last question. So. Um we had also a lot of discussion about these innovative things mm -hmm. um, regarding should we go still to Europe? Is it still attractive? Ah. Or should we go to US? I mean, at each session nearly where we talk about, mm -hmm. uh, about any topic, they ask that. Is it still um, beneficial for us to wait for, to go for Europe, even if we don't have a notified body, even if it's now we are a new device or we are not legacy, etc.? So what would you answer to that? Ah, that's not a good question because we also discussed that at the, the, the Viva pre-conference. Okay. And uh, yeah, basically, I mean, um, I've been in medical devices regulation for several decades now. And what I've seen is that basically you see a regulatory pendulum swinging yeah, back yeah, and forth. Exactly. And I remember at the time, I still remember that at some point, uh, one of the high up guys at the FDA said, yeah, yeah, uh, Europe, uh, everybody went Europe first those days. Yeah, it's, yeah, you, well, of course, go Europe first. But uh, yeah, everybody's a guinea pig over there. They're all guinea pigs in their own system. Exactly. So, but that was basically, yeah, that was jealousy, right? Because the FDA was getting a lot of criticism at that time that, that especially high risk devices took way too long. FDA got its act together with, for example, these breakthrough uh, designation programs. So they are really performing a lot better now. And also uh, they, uh, at the time, every software class one in Europe, yeah. self-certified, so didn't matter how, how, even if it was like an AI to power an autonomous surgical robot, class one. Class one. <laughs> exactly. exactly. These days, completely different. Yeah. So basically what we have is now the regulatory pendulum was there and now it's here. And yeah, I mean, you could wait for another 10 years and then probably in the middle. But again, yeah, this is something that uh, uh, it's a bet we make for ourselves in Europe. And what I said in my presentation at this Viva conference is, look, what we need to avoid is that the MDR and the IVDR become an ATMP regulation. Okay. Because um, people that are in tissue and cell and gene therapy, they may remember that in uh, 2007, we had regulation 1394 mm -hmm. slash uh, uh, 2007, mm -hmm. the ATMP regulation, where they thought like, yeah, 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 uh, the, the regulation of tissue therapy, gene therapy, cell therapy, it is very, there's too much uh, divergence between member states, just like we had with the MDR a bit. Let's completely harmonize that. Okay. We will just blam, put it in the medicine system. But then the procedures for getting approval became so prohibitively expensive that basically in Europe, we lost the whole small and medium-sized enterprises industry in, in that particular field of medicine. It's very sad because we still have these biotech startups but they can't afford to bring their own product to the market anymore. So what they do is they develop it to proof of concept and then they sell it to a huge American or Chinese yeah, company, exactly, yeah. which is exactly not what we want. Mm. 
So, because I think that the ATMP regulation, it's a case study of how a, regulation, a regulatory system can fail spectacularly. Because I think at some point, even more than 10 years after the system started, they only had about five marketing authorizations. Okay. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. Even though they had an SME office to help SMEs and they had at some point they had a program like they had like an SME plus program where they would not even pull SMEs through the program, they would push SMEs through the program and still it didn't deliver. So yeah, I think that was something that I showed as a case study like yeah you can also overdo things and uh, you and, have and no success <laughs> exactly and it was a discussion we had this morning in the ai session uh, where i was presenting as well yeah where they say like yeah we need trustworthy ai but i mean if you want something to be trust more trustworthy it doesn't automatically mean that you need to make the regulation more complex yeah or more top heavy. I mean, as you, as you said, so each time we have a problem, regulation. Each time we have no problem, regulation. So yeah, but not only regulation, but we do extra regulation. Yeah, extra regulation. And I think extra regulation. And we don't worry too much about the impact assessment because maybe in the best case they write an impact assessment and they never revisit it. Yeah. Or we. Um, yeah, or we will just say, well, it's politically so important that we have a regulation for this, this is, that is separate, rather than say, oh, this is actually already possible under these, uh, under these legislation. We don't need something extra. We just need to yeah, better look how this fits in uh, with what's already there. Just discuss, just communicate, I mean, work together. So many this yeah. is... Uh... Yeah, and I think it's, that's a bit of a European problem that we think that the regulations that we make are so good yeah. and are so world-class that everybody wants more of them all the time. And that whenever we come up with a regulation, automatically things get better, but that's not always no, true. No. I mean, we are regulators and I mean, uh, I don't want more. I, what we have is sufficient. No, and I think we have a lot of really good quality regulation. I mean, I think the MDR and the IVDR in the basis, fantastic yeah. regulation. But the execution, yeah, I the, mean, as we said, the infrastructure, to be yeah, the infrastructure behind the number of notified exactly. bodies, the UDAMED, the, I mean, all those things that are not in place makes it like the manufacturer wants to go, yeah. but they cannot go. So yeah, I think yeah, and also then then the fact that that's not in place gives uh, gives industry an excuse yeah, to say also, the infrastructure yeah, yeah. is not there, so exactly. we are going to sit on our hands, and everybody is looking at each other. So yeah. in the end, it's not productive. So yeah. yeah. I would say uh, it helps to be a bit more intelligent on yeah, not like what additional new shiny thing can we implement, but rather what tweaks can we make to an existing system that is already yeah maybe pretty good. Yeah, good. Okay, thank you, Eric. It was really a pleasure to have you. Yeah. So Eric Verbreck from Axon Lawyers, and uh, I'm sure we'll see him again in uh, another podcast with me. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much.